0: Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis, and here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. Today, you've got a great program in store for you because talking about the methods well, we're going to talk about lead management, and I'm joined today by my guest, Gail Nixon, who is the Vice President of Marketing at Latera. Before we dive into that, I want to tell you real quick that today's episode is sponsored by Telium, and they are the world's most trusted customer data platform. Telium's annual Digital Velocity event is coming up, and it's going to be better than ever before. This year, it'll be part of a five-part event series with one event for each vertical, including retail travel and hospitality, financial services, sports and entertainment, and the healthcare industry. So sign up so you can get inspired by some wonderful customer data visionaries and some industry thought leaders. The series kicks off with retail on April 28th. You can visit the link in the description below to find your industry, save your seat, and get a first look at the agenda and speakers. The URL is telium.com forward slash digitalvelocity. Again, thanks, Telian for sponsoring today's podcast, and let's dive into the show. Funny thing is about knowing Gail for as long as I have, the very first time that we had a chance to meet in Las Vegas at the Serious Decisions Conference, we actually didn't meet each other. It was years later that we got to know one another, but we were both there, and today we're going to talk about the Serious Decisions Demand Waterfall and Lead Management got a great program. So let's dive in. Gail, good to see you. Hello.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me today, David.
0: I am glad to have you. I was saying to the group when I was kicking off, you heard that, I think, that the first chance that we had the opportunity to meet one another was, what, at the Serious Decisions Conference? I don't even know what year it was, but I know it was at Lake Henderson. Six. Was it? Yes. 2006. Mm-hmm. Are you sure?
1: Pretty sure it's The only reason
0: I'm worried that that may not be it was because I feel like I started Demand Gen in 2007 so could have did 2007,
1: I 2007 but it
0: could have been maybe but we were it, you know so many conferences are in Las Vegas and we were at uh this area is it called Henderson? Yes I think it is. That was like 45 minutes or so from downtown Las Vegas which was really nice because it made the event very intimate and you could just all stay together and and do some great networking which is a huge part of that conference certainly is all of us talking every year about what each one is doing. And here we get to do it today. So thank you for joining me. You guys, if you can't see the screen right now or read the show notes, but Gail is the Senior Vice President of Marketing at LaTera. We'll get into some of the stuff that she's doing there in just a little bit. But can we go back in time and really talk about the advent of the demand waterfall and, and how really that approach and methodology is still so relevant today? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And um, I remember when we were at that event uh, for Serious Decisions, there was only one track uh, and it was everybody in one room and it was about 100 people in the room before Serious Decisions really grew and had separate tracks for sales enablement, for marketing operations and all the different tracks that they ended up creating. Uh, are around all of the aspects that are involved in a revenue organization and a marketing organization and customer success organization. So it's amazing to see how things have evolved and how that the search decisions was able to take a surgical approach to the different functions within a large organization or an enterprise type software organization. Um, and then apply those different surgical tech methodologies and best practices for each of those segments, but at the time it was one big room. So we were sitting in the room at the same time, David. Yeah. At round tables, you may recall.
0: Yep. It was it was very small, intimate. Didn't have yep. the big scaffolding of lights and music and and the big walk on and welcome music. It was definitely dialed down from that, That's but story. still super impactful. Yeah.
1: Super impactful, and the waterfall was really simplistic, and um it started with, what, an M-A-L, and then there was the M-Q-L, went to M-Q-L, and yeah. then SAL, SQL, and uh then it was win-lost opportunity, right? So, really simplistic um, at so the I'll, time.
0: So, I'll tell you my, I'm going to reach over here and get my book. Stepping away from the microphone. So, I don't know if you have a copy of my book. Do you have a copy? I do. The white one, the blue one. If you don't, I'm going to send you one. And and I think for you, it's like a collector's item now for you because it will take you back in time. So this book, Manufacturing Demand, which is all about demand generation, specifically lead management, talks about my experience with serious decisions and gives them some really important credit where credit is due. And I never share this story with you. I'll share it with you and and everybody, which is I met Rich Elch at... uh, Verve. Verve uh, was a client of ours. They got later acquired by Taleo. We did a lot of work for Taleo. uh, And and still do work for some of the team members that have gone on from there to other places after they got acquired by Oracle. But the short story is, I'm in a conference room at their headquarters in Florida and Rich is presenting from like 9 to noon and then there's a break from noon to 1 for lunch and they invited me, said, hey, Dave, if you want to come, because my workshop was was after that. And this is when like DemandGen had like, I don't know, seven people in the company. It was really early on. And they said, if you want to come early, come for lunch. Well, I didn't want to be the guy who just showed up for lunch. Like I was down the hall and came for some free food. So I showed maybe about an hour and a half early and sat through Rich's session. And he's explaining on the whiteboard, the demand waterfall. And he's got, you know, the funnel shaped right there. And he's got... His, his pictures and he's talking about inquiries and MQLs and SALs and all this kind of acronym soup. And so as I'm putting half of a turkey sandwich and some pasta salad on my plate, I say, hey, Rich, introduce myself. I said, that stuff that you were just sharing on the whiteboard, do people actually do that? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, you know, like, that's like a stupid question. And I'm like, let me ask the question differently. What's up there on your PowerPoint slides? Has anyone ever operationalized that? Have they turned that into a system? Because my background is heavy into Eloqua and CRM, and I literally sat there sketching and I showed him like my notebook how we could operationalize that in these systems. He goes, "That's fantastic." He goes, "You know, it's more of a a framework, a, a model, and very few companies have ever." As you're calling it dave operationalized it and i said well i'm going to surprise you and i think uh three weeks after that i sent him a note and i said hey i got some show and tell for you and i had gone back into our own instance of eloqua and salesforce and built out what is now today almost best practice industry standard i created the iconography for it the flames the thumbs up the the salesforce layouts for that the scoring models and nurturing tracks and just you know work day and night to show him in our own sandbox, what I meant by operationalizing it. And from that day forward, we were at every serious decisions conference. We were talking about our methodologies. I think 65% of the ROI winners were our clients. And it was a great match because they had this methodology and we were um, making making it happen. And I, it shocked until you were at Rocket Software that we had never really crossed paths, but that's, I, I got religion as well. I'd love to hear your kind of origin story on on why you liked the waterfall and and applied it that was mine
1: yeah well i had um interviewed with john neeson back in 2005 um before i joined hard hank's trillium software trillium software was just about to embark upon signing up for serious decisions and as part of my interview i had to meet john neeson over the phone actually And, um, I interviewed with him and I, I passed a sniff test. So that was amazing. I took on, um, my field marketing senior field marketing manager role at Trillium 2005. And part of my role was to learn the serious decisions waterfall. And I had to attend regular monthly cadences with the demand gen, um, our consultants on the serious decision side of the demand gen team. But I look back at those moments and it was almost like going back to university that I, had, I graduated college with marketing degree, but attending those monthly meetings, those regular cadences that I had with serious decisions. So I could stand up the, the waterfall analysis at Trillium looking back. That was amazing. I mm. would feel, I always tell people that I was feel blessed and I'm thankful that I had that ongoing education. It was really like university. Every time I met with that, I would learn something new about a new methodology or a new framework, or I would be able to say that, well, this isn't working with the waterfall. How do I do this? Or how do I do that? and the ongoing guidance that i was able to receive throughout my tenure and career which was almost 10 years at trillium we later then went on to the content module and product marketing modules we expanded uh, over time because that's yeah. how you could do it and then they had with sales sales enablement modules um it was just ongoing drinking from the fire hose i feel like and ongoing looking at looking at the way you, you manage the fart you manage the waterfall and then how do you implement it technology wise i think it was just a whole evolution um, but I'm looking back at that and I was just really grateful to have met John Neeson such early on in my career. Yeah. Um, fast forward, you know, that's what 15 years later. Right. So yeah. he was a guide um, for me at Sirius and i uh, um, at Trillium and other folks at Trillium as well. My CMO, we would always rely on John and Rich for John for marketing and Rich for sales type of questions, sales enablement type questions or something on the yeah. revenue team. Yeah. So those
0: guys, John and Rich, you know, we we kind of hit it off at the at the food bar for sure at, at Verve, but there were for years where I, I don't think they were a big fan of of me and Dimension. I only say that for one reason: when we were small, we were never really able to sponsor the conference because it, the sponsorships were not inexpensive. I think they started at like thirty thousand dollars for a little ten by ten. Probably what you know, it's that's like, like California, New York real estate, like really, really priced per square foot, only for a couple of days. But we would throw. Some uh, activities planned, everything from parties to get a suite and meet face to face with clients and meet with prospects. And so, I think they wanted me always to sponsor, which we eventually ended up doing. But when I was small and scrappy and just excited to be there and, and picking up our first clients, we used a more guerrilla approach, certainly. But always mutual respect for those guys. And you know, one of the things that they preach, you know, at the conference was sales and marketing alignment, and Brought up the book uh, before. I'll see if I can get to it pretty quickly. Chapter four: the demand funnel, the pathway to revenues. You see that little cartoon right there?
1: Yes. It's
0: the VP of Human Resources sitting in the middle, and it's a cartoon with the uh, head of sales pointing that says, "Well, he told me we don't follow up," and the VP of Marketing, which, by the way, probably should have been a woman. If I if I did this cartoon all over again, <laughs> I would redo the graphics. Well, the VBA market saying he he told me all our leads suck, um, and <laughs> that like was... right? I mean, every <laughs> single environment I've ever been in, uh, every single market I've ever talked to has said in some fashion of that uh, sales won't follow up on anything, and sales saying all oh, your leads suck. And and, and
1: I that, think that, yeah, that's just really important to note because that was my first charter. I remember forget I, I started in November of two thousand five at Trillium and. My CMO at the time said, Gail, you need to get us aligned with with sales team. You need to go create a service level agreement, an SLA, and you need to define what that's going to be. So it was one of those opportunities where I was like, okay, let's do this. And I remember talking to John and he helped us out with kind of developing what that SLA, what elements should be in that SLA. But yeah. I led that charter. And I think that was the first step for me on how do you strategically get teams aligned? I let it like I led that alignment from a, a revenue generation perspective, right? How do you show that marketing has have an impact on a on on the bottom line of a business? And that was my first charter. Literally, I, I've had it done by the end of December, end of the year, so we can go into the next year with a service level agreement in place with our head of sales at the time, which is now considered a CRO, um, and in ourselves that we were aligned and that we we're going to go and achieve X KPIs for the business this year. Yeah. We were going yeah. to contribute, I think it was 40% to be precise, David, that marketing was all of a sudden responsible. And we signed up for that. We were going to contribute 40% of influenced um, bookings to the organization it was a software organization. So that year's bookings, we were going to achieve that, that number. And we had a percent of what we we're going to achieve for pipeline. Cause we knew that we had to get three X or four X of what we needed to get to bookings. And we had a formula that we generated and that we needed to, X amount in MQLs based on a conversion rate that we had at that time. We didn't have a lot of historical data, so we created a conversion rate and said, "Well, we think twenty-five percent sounds like industry best standard, so let's go for twenty-five percent." You know, it was a bit of stickier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and, and uh, educated guys. guess
0: work at at best at that point. But let me let me make sure everyone's hearing that twenty-five percent conversion rate from what to what?
1: It was twenty-five percent um, from our pipeline to our bookings. So opportunity
0: to one. Correct. Okay. You have it. Yeah. And that's, and that's certainly doable depending on what creates an opportunity. And I'm, I'm going to go back in a minute and talk about what I think is not best practice, but 25% conversion rate from opportunity to close one is, is great. I think we peaked at around 40 plus percent.
1: Yeah. And it was all about that alignment though, right? So when you, when the alignment, when you have that big charter at the, at the beginning of a year, of what your are what as two teams are going to go do, that alignment, that in itself, that SLA, having that SLA was just, it was, it was so important yeah. for us as a business and for our future. Um, as we, we evolved it year over year, but that just having that alignment and that service level agreement and yeah. putting it in writing and understanding you know, what we were all trying to work for, just really I think helped. It helped from a top-down perspective. And it helped the people between the the sales people and the marketing people, um, the marketing team members understand that we're all in it together. Yeah. Um, and that we're all trying to achieve the same goal, as opposed to you're not giving me this lead or that lead. And and what I really loved, what demand gen did to help evolve the waterfall is if it's the the recycle, right? I think it was right. demand that helped yep. implement it. that was a way you could technically totally. track if it was not a bad lead instead of the subjectiveness of what. It was before I think the management started really operationalize, yeah. operationalizing the funnel. It was very subjective to your picture in the book, but yeah. that, that um, opportunity where you operationalized it, Dave, and you actually had reasons of why it was either re- recycled or disqualified or rejected, whatever terminology totally. all, you want to use, became an opportunity to sit down at a table with a, with a head of sales and say, okay, well, this is how many we had that were qualified, and this is why. Yep. And I think that why we could all understand. Yep, it was huge, but um, having that in a system and everyone tracking to the same goal was just, I think, just a game. It was a
0: game game changer. It was why I started the business in the whole first place. Because when I was at Ellie May, that's where I was from around early two thousand three to two thousand seven before I started the company. Joe Langner and I, who I also talk about in the book. By the way, I'm bringing up the book a few times, you guys. If you would like a copy of the book, I'll make sure that we put a link so you can download it in the uh, description. And then if you want a physical copy, I always invite you guys to reach out to me on LinkedIn because like five people will do when I mention that. So I'm never worried about getting inundated with anybody who wants a hard copy. So many people like digital, but it's theirs, yours, and, and Gail, I'm gonna send you one because so much of the work that you have done throughout your career, you're gonna see on the on the pages of that point I was going to make is Joe and I were really well aligned at Mae. We had a really good relationship. Like you said, that was your mission at Trillium when you started, was to get that alignment between sales and marketing. And Joe and I just had a good rapport. That helped uh, trust, respect. He needed me. I needed him. But we methodically defined the process that when marketing created a lead, as we originally called it, that we would hand it off to them. And like you said, the SLA, the service level agreement, like, hey, Joe, we're going to work our tail off to generate these people that are interested in talking to your team. And here's how I'm going to know that they're actually interested using their digital body language and other things. Will you promise me that your team will do the following steps over the next 21 days? And we, you know, we went to the whiteboard and worked together. It wasn't me telling him what to do. It was agreeing what those touch points would be, what the Outreach would be, the different forms and channels for it, and we operationalized it in our CRM and in Eloqua at the time. This is circa 2003. So when I saw Rich talking about this in a very systematic with actual naming conventions, that's when we really adapted the language and said those things. But the name demand gen of my you know predecessor company that was acquired by BDO Digital became, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast at least once, that was our friday sales and marketing meeting and i hated gail that like marketing would sit on one side of the table and sales would sit on the other and i could tell it was like you know this tension and you know so i'm like just i read it i you know when you double click on a meeting and it comes up do you want to edit this one or edit the series it was like edit the series and i called it the demand gen meeting and the idea was one team one mission to generate wow. revenue You'll be responsible for this much. We'll be responsible for this much, and together we'll accomplish it. Now, that, that was that was the that was the approach. How have you done it? How have you gotten that actual true alignment, trust, respect, process, agreement, and follow through? That you can share your recipes of success because it's it's hard in some it, environments.
1: It is. It is, and um, I think. Open communication, I think, is really, really important to, to that process, having full transparency, being transparent to all the different stakeholders. I think one of the big things, too, is providing the data on a monthly basis. We're able to sit down and look at the data together and show that we were actively engaged in the process Every month I did that with my head of sales, of global sales, and we would look at the data together and we would say, okay, well, that's really good or that's not really good. And we would make fine tuning, we'd fine tune as we went along. But really what we were trying to do is understand where were the best watering holes, um, where our buyers were so that we were present at at those watering holes, whether they were online online. Are offline so that we knew where we needed to be and that we were there to ensure that we were gonna generate X amount of pipeline or we had goals for each of those each of those type of tactics. Um, the watering holes, for example, would be an event that mm-hmm. we knew that that's where our buyers were. So how do we make sure we're at that event every year or how often or however regular that event is or if it's digital, like the, the, the on, as you said, the buying behaviors online, I think that was a big, that was a big change too along my career journey is that a lot of the stuff was offline, but as more social media channels started pop- popping up like Facebook and Twitter and um, different online advertising channels, Google and Bing and constant syndication and all of the digital marketing, I've been in digital marketing since the get-go of my career as well. And that, having that knowledge and understanding where those buyers are actively engaging is huge right so we have something we know are being called the third party cookie um i'm you know we love cookies here in marketing Our cookies have helped me track our digital behavior for for many years but we know the third party cookie might be going away very soon if
0: you're Mm
1: -hmm. in current with your marketing defense which is i recommend to all marketers that marketing will always evolve and always change um and that we need to evolve with it so the third party cookies may be going away but how are we going to how are we marketers going to be tracking that that online behavior in the future. So um, I'm looking at that to see what we can do, but understanding that buying behavior and putting it into your lead scoring models. And um, that could be anywhere from, like I said, an email, it could be an email communication that you're tracking when somebody clicks or when they're visiting your website, which then we now be, have known become part of milestones. If you use Marketo, you can track all those different milestones and add scoring yeah. to all of that, that online behavior. But being able to add those two dimensions, online and offline, and understanding how the buyers are engaging and then telling salespeople how they're doing that, that's a game changer. That became a game changer for me that they were like, yeah, how'd you know this? And I was like, because I'm watching, I'm not really stalking people, but I'm understanding what they're doing. I also signed up with a digital marketing agency at one time where they were able to take proprietary software, which could actually take the keyword that somebody was searching on. And we were putting it into our Salesforce instance so that when our BDR team was following up, they knew what somebody was searching on. Yeah. So they have a conversation starter using that keyword and understanding how to talk to somebody, knowing what was hot topic. Yeah. That was like game changer. but it was, again, that was me giving sales the right information at the right time so they could strike when the iron was hot, when they totally. saw that fire was engaging. And as we practiced and evolved it, we really, for 10 years, we figured it out. We were able to consistently hit our marketing attribution or influence KPI target year over year while, while I was there. And of course, that trickled down to bookings targets. Um, But that formula of success really was, again, through transparency, open communication and just ongoing regular cadence meetings with my head of sales teams.
0: Yeah, it's um, when it's done right, transformative, game changer. And then when you do it right, you have the recipe book. And that was why I wrote this book was so that everybody could have the recipe book. I know that everybody wouldn't implement it because it does take some work. And you know, the book, even though it's a very prescriptive book, it doesn't literally say what field to create in Marketo or Eloqua and what values to set because everybody's a little bit um, different. But it, it breaks down all the pieces that you have now done multiple times. Start off with the demand funnel. We called it that because Demand Waterfall was Sirius's kind of like copyrighted name and I didn't want to step on there. Yeah step on their toes from a methodology perspective. So we, I also didn't like, candidly, the term waterfall because in a waterfall, except for evaporation, everything from the top goes to the bottom. <laughs> and we know that that is not, uh, maybe I was too OCD, but like- I had a, like, yeah, I had a it was, debate
1: with my CMO at the time, yeah. wait, wait, but it can go up. How does a waterfall go up? I remember right. hearing people, waterfalls. In,
0: yeah, so Yeah, so it, <laughs> the Manufacturing Demand, the name of the book, came at the end when I was like, it really is a manufacturing process. You generate demand, which is awareness, interest, desire, you know, all the way through that. So you generate awareness, you generate interest. That's marketing's responsibility, certainly in today's day and age. Like you said, if you're going to generate 30% of pipeline from marketing, you're, you're for sure generating a lot of awareness and interest. So once someone is interested enough, you call them something, uh, maybe an MQL, because now they've gone from just a casual hand raiser to a marketing qualified lead. So you develop the taxonomy, as you know, you develop a scoring methodology to move people at the upper stages of the funnel, and you put all these nurtures, they're they're almost like, you know, the water flow, like, you know, the the different nurtures for each of these stages of the funnel. And you hit on, Gail, probably one of the most important stages of the funnel, which is recycle, because when you manufacture something, 95% of the raw materials ends up as a finished good. But when you're manufacturing demand in marketing, maybe 5% ends up as a finished good, you know, close one. So that means 95% is going somewhere else, either disqualified or recycle. Uh, So, you know, it's a very systematic approach. It works, but it starts off with aligning sales and marketing and becoming this kind of one mission, one team. Uh, but you have different Expertise, just like I've always said, like a football team, offense and defense, very different, but it's one team. Sales and marketing are extremely different from a culture, persona, uh, compensation, all those aspects, but but together, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts for sure.
1: Absolutely, and let's just put a pin in this for a second because you know, not everybody has been exposed to what we're talking about. Yeah. I think at one point, it seemed like the majority was, but as time has gone on and you know, Forrester has acquired serious decisions, Yeah, I'm realizing across the globe. And as you get into more global organizations, I'm literally talking to people in Kosovo today, right? We acquired a company. They have a team in Kosovo. Well, you know, those folks have never been exposed to the serious decisions or been to the events or or th- listened to any or read any of their content. So. You you talk to these people and they see and they hear MQL and I'll ask them, well, do you know where that came from? And they'll look at me like, no. And one of the challenges that I, I face as ongoing is trying to keep the serious decisions methodologies alive and the yeah. frameworks alive and trying to bring in people from Kosovo, for example, that have really never really had any exposure to this. and And understanding why structure is important. I think for the younger generation that are coming up and that haven't been exposed to this in their classrooms, they look at me as sometimes the cranky lady with saying, "Well, we need the structure, we need this, we need this regiment, we need to do this, and we need to have this process, and we need to do this because we need it." <laughs> and mm-hmm. there was a day when everybody knew why we needed it. Right. And, but now it was it's- it
0: was an accepted framework and model for B two B demand generation. Have you seen the people on LinkedIn who kind of shit on it? They're actually like, they talk like, oh, it's dead. So the structured. funnel is dead. And I'm like, well, did they fail and they've given up? Do they think that, that ABM replaced it? Like cause ABM is just an, an additional methodology to help with operationalizing the funnel. Like I didn't, I don't like that serious decisions tried to come up with like the unit type terminology and really took it too far. Remember the content Nautilus? Talking about the kind con- that 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 was that was a little crazy talk, but the demand waterfall and the demand funnel is alive and well. I feel, I mean, we're still implementing these methodologies for our clients. And as I, you know, I'm now overseeing the strategy along with Mia Kemp on my team to bring marketing to BDO Digital because we've never had an internal marketing department, believe that or not. So we're wow. standing up everything from scratch, and you can be sure we'll be applying these methodologies because they work. In fact, you mentioned, yeah, wow, imagine that. So, Gail, you said earlier about the KPIs. We literally this week are working on our KPIs, measurements, and percentages of what will contribute from revenue in fiscal year 23, which starts May 1st for us, and 24 and 25. 25 is going to be a little, little more educated guesswork, but the percentages that you're talking about. Is that crazy talk to have marketing generate 30% of, of pipeline? No.
1: In, in many
0: e-commerce driven SaaS based companies, you could do 60, 70%. Um, mm-hmm. You used an analogy before. I'll go with like, I, I've now been with my wife for 35 years. So if I use Tinder, I'm speaking uh, without, I don't even know which way to swipe. But let's say swiping right is a good thing. I don't know. Is swipe <laughs> right, swipe left. But we're, for, the, for the beat up analogy, like you you want to pre-qualify in marketing, right? Determine what an MQL is. and an MQL is like if maybe using another dating analogy like I'm a friend of somebody and she or he really wants to be in a relationship. And so what I want to do is only put them together with people who really want to be in a relationship, not someone who's just downloading content metaphorically, you know like And so if you create too many false positives of an MQL, your sales team will not trust you because everything's in MQL. Everything is this match made in heaven. And if you don't use the lead object, the lead object is meant to be like the Starbucks date, I would guess. Like It's like, we're not sure that this belongs in your database permanently as a permanent record, but we want to provide some information and let sales you take a look, review it, and if, and if they're worthy, then create a contact and let's keep them and persist. Otherwise, disqualify it, as you said, or recycle it. The model that I'm talking about, which then I want to get your opinion on going from like acceptance being opportunity creation. We'll do that next. This is not uncommon that I will see this use of Salesforce or CRM systems to fast track leads, to get them in front of sales, and then do very quick opportunity conversion as an acceptance. And what is your opinion about acceptance as opportunity creation?
1: Yeah, so I think you have to be careful too I've seen organizations where they they when marketing teams will sneak it in the uh, code called high value page on a website and if you create too many high value pages or if you are too lenient on your lead scoring and you're passing leads that aren't really qualified yes you will marketing team will use lose credibility with those mQls and you'll might likely see less follow-up um, from those mQls as you're, you're providing higher quality ones I'm a believer that quality over quantity. I'd rather provide a higher volume of high value, high qualified leads that have a higher propensity to convert to an opportunity that somebody's ready to buy within the time frame of our of our traditional buying cycle. Um, but I think it's important that you, you look at it and you measure it within the lead in the contact. So again i think it's important that you're looking at the data you're using the data you're pulling those reports on a monthly or quarterly basis sharing those reports across the business with the with the right stakeholders so that you're actually making data driven decisions yeah. at, the, at the end of the day i like to say that i'm a data driven marketer there are some great books out there um, about how to how to be a marketer i always say is marketing a science is it a science or an art i always oh, lean boy. towards it's a bit of both, but yeah, right. debate. It could be an art or it could be a science. But you have to have the science behind the art. Totally. Mm-hmm. I,
0: if I had to err on one side of the teeter totter, more science than art these days. Even neuromarketing, yeah. which I've studied for years, is the science of like how to push the buy button in someone's head. It's there's science to it. It's the not science. just creative pictures. But even if you, certain colors have certain effects, because there's a science behind how the brain works. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There, there really is. And and I look at the data as that's the science. That's Those are the formulas. If you look at the data and use it to create that formula, like we talked about that recipe, um, that data is really feeding your recipe so you can rinse and repeat. So my, my career has been built on success of rinsing and repeating, kind of taking these best practices and implementing these best practices across the sales and marketing organizations so that you're able to take this recipe. Um, it might change over time with different types of Channels depending on the industry, you might have consumers that like to consume um, or customers that like to consume content in from different channels and different size bite sizes. Some people are like audio learners, some are visual learners. Yeah, imagery yeah. is really popular. People love Instagram. Like it, it, it all depends. But I think as marketers, we're always challenged to make sure that we have a multiple. We have a multi a multi marketing mix because I come out of digital marketing, offline and online, as my career. I was in a really good place when COVID hit. Mm -hmm, And so a lot of companies relied heavily on offline tactics so that salespeople get that face to face, that face to face time with their prospective customers or existing customers. But when COVID hit, it was like, oh no, we can't do events. And organizations that weren't prepared to have a multiple mix of marketing. Really saw an effect, um, a high effect of they didn't have the same engagement with the customers that customer that existing companies that had that m- that mix of marketing. There is no magic bullet. There is I've learned. I liked when I first in my career I thought there was a magic bullet. There really isn't. There, there's there's not a magic bullet. That thing you're talked about the marketing mix in your college college class. Yeah. that's
0: real. It's real. <laughs> it's,
1: You have to have that mix. Again, you have to reach, right? You want to talk about and dive in and talk about reach, David. How do we, how do marketers know how to reach people? I mean, and I like to use that, that science and that data behind to say, this is how we reach people. This is where, this is, that data is telling us what that reach can look like. Um, And then you can pull your ABM strategies into that. Um, As we know, ABM has become a hot topic these days. It has been over the past few years, but I've been doing ABM since the beginning of my career because I was told by sales, Here's a list of account scale. Um, you need to go find me the right people to talk to and get those doors open so that I can talk to them. So I've been doing ABM my whole entire career. It's just that it's evolved and there are now technical tools out there to help help measure and monitor online and on, on online yeah. what consumers are doing so that you're able to, to leverage different types of tools to help with ABM. But ABM has been around for, forever, right? Yeah. So let just. There's just more stuff.
0: tools these days to operationalize ABM, but it's not Correct. that it replaced uh, a different methodology. If we're talking about demand generation and we're, and by the way, demand generation is the guy who coined the phrase, it's both net new customers and your install base. It doesn't just actually mean net new customers for the record. The ABM is just being more targeted in who you try to generate awareness and interest and desire and action from. That's, it's just a targeting. Um, well, I say just. It it takes work and technology, but it's you're more efficient with your spend. If you're going to run ads on LinkedIn, why not run ads to the companies that are either engaged with you at some level or you want to be engaged with you at some level rather than spending money on impressions for everybody, right? No brainer. But they Go don't. Do, I don't. I don't think they're teaching any of these systems yet in college, which is un, unfortunate. But we still learn about the four P's, and we still learn about awareness, right. interest, desire, and action, and multi-channel marketing, which is alive and well. We just have more channels. I did a podcast recently where we talked about virtual reality and the metaverse, and how companies are already starting to buy up real estate and and do display advertising in the metaverse, um, because there's more eyeballs there, there or There's new <laughs> eyeballs there, not more, but there's new eyeballs. So constantly evolving and changing in marketing.
1: David, I'd like to know how you're going to go after TikTok. That's what I really want to know. How are we as marketers going to integrate TikTok into some more of the B2B than the B2C? Like B2C, I get more easy, like going out and getting the different generations based on demographics and profiles set up in TikTok. But... Let's just face it, Dave. We're similar ages. There was no Facebook when I started.
0: (laughs) No, no Facebook, no TikTok, no Twitter. Or Instagram or some of
1: these, David, tell me how you're gonna go after TikTok. Let's share the audience. I'll tell
0: you what, Gail, if you would just get up now and do a little dance and that type of stuff, (laughs) then we could cut it and we could put it on TikTok and promote the podcast and the YouTube channel through TikTok, but we'd have to go. Say, I was on the couch this morning thinking about when is it time for us to start creating some content for TikTok, and I remember when I started the podcast, which is now like five years ago. Um, definitely was ahead of ahead of time. I didn't. I. It was hard to find microphone information on what software I needed and that type of stuff at the time. And I, of course, I was learning from like fourteen-year-old streamers on what the best gear was because they were way ahead of the pack. Uh, let, David,
1: let's, let me learn from you when it comes to TikTok. I'm gonna go look for you.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll be. I'll. I'll try to lead there. I don't know if it's gonna be you know good. The the first TikTok I made. I love video gaming but the first TikTok I made was like an intro of my team that I thought would be just fun to make it and right. I used I used music that I had copyright rights to but it was longer than a minute and after I did all this work and uploaded it I got back like your your thing's too long so it's silenced <laughs> I'm like oh my god so I gave up you know not I'm on TikTok point, I'm, a, I'm a, a voyeur but I'm not creating content but yeah there's always new eyeballs I want to pivot to um why? Why? What's the ROI? What's, what's it worth? I mean we talked about some metrics and marketing being a revenue center, but let's make it more personal for you and your career or you and in your initiatives um, at the various companies you've been to. This is hard work. It's not overnight. My example, by the way, of me doing this in three weeks, that's because I was at a stage with my company, Lifecycle, where I had the time to work day and night and operationalize this stuff. I didn't have any other distractions when I was getting my company off the ground, but I wanted to build it and have it done. Um, we know it doesn't take that long. And I was the sales department and the marketing department and the eloqua admin and the website. Wow. So I, you know, could do it all, you know, as I was getting demand gen off the ground. But why why do it, Gail? Like, like really either intrinsically or extrinsically, it's alive and well. We know that. And you should be doing lead management and you should make it in conjunction with the other things that you're doing, but why?
1: So really why?
0: Yeah, the, real, the real, real why.
1: Real why is predictability, right? In ROI on your marketing spend. At the end of the day, you want to know you're going to spend X amount of dollars or a per dollar, how much is it going to cost to acquire a customer or sell something new to an existing customer sell or upsell. So really the, the why is how do you create predictability with the marketing budget that you're organization has given you. I take marketing budgets really seriously. Mm-hmm. I like to spend the money like it's my own money, and I like to measure and track the money that I'm spending so that I'm able to go back to my, to my CEO, to the board and say, Hey, I spent X amount of money and this is what I've, I've generated or the team has generated the marketing has influenced and provided back for you on that money so that we can provide predictability predictability on the money that we're spending as, as a marketing team. Yes, there's always going to be a percent of 10, 20% if you in B2B of your budget that you have to spend for branding, make that decision, a conscious decision to say, okay, we know that we might not be able to measure because this is branding, this is eyeballs. These are billboard signs or something that you're gonna do. This is a Times Square sign and you're posting something on Times Square. You might not necessarily be able to measure that, but you're going to get lots of eyeballs and impressions. Or if you do some of the digital marketing with the digital signs in New York City or some of the cities in London or wherever it might be, um, Singapore or some of the cities where you have the digital signs, you know, that might be branding. Um, But for the most part, if you're going to leverage your money and go to events or spend it on Google AdWords or uh constant t- syndication or display advertising or something else that you can really measure and track online marketing, digital marketing, you're yeah. able to provide an ROI back on that spend. At the end of the day, you want to understand how much it costs, um, customer acquisition costs yeah. um, or lifetime value. You want to understand what is that money providing from a lifetime value and how is it aligning to a customer's buyer's yeah. journey? And how many touches is it taking um to to acquire a customer and what does that buyer's journey look like yeah. and what is that so it's all about what are you going to invest it's almost like it's the same as investing on a stock you see my my my, my CNBC. i keep it going on and running in the background because i love to hear like what yeah. who's investing i like to hear what they're getting back on their money and i like to have predictions predictability predictive models my team is actually i have a structure set up david that my team in order for them to spend money they have to create a predictive model. Um, for each line item where they're going to spend the money. So I actually have my team fill out a model in advance to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to attend this event. This is how many MALs or suspects, prospects we're going to generate. Um, we're calling them MELS these days, marketing engaged leads, not ready quite yet to hand over to sales, right. Yeah, like this is how many MQLs we're going to generate this is our amount we're going to get from pipeline. And this is what we're going to get from bookings for each line item. And it's, you know, these are hundreds of line items when you're in a company my size that I'm in today in previous organizations. And we create these models every quarter and we look at what are we going to invest in each of the geos, geographies, in each of the tactics. Okay. And in each of the things we're going to do. So we're going into the quarter knowing what we're going to spend, but we're also predicting what we're going to get out. And then we take the actuals of what we actually were able to do um, what we were able to generate from those predictive models. And then we were able to manipulate our predictive models to understand how do we get better at predictability? So why predictability, I yeah. think is very understanding. And, you know, everybody wants to have a predictable sales funnel, right. um, at the end of the day. So you're able to say to your board, this is what I predict we're going to generate in pipeline and this is what we're going to generate in bookings yeah. or AR, whatever it might be. So for me, the why is really about creating predictability and that's part of the science David. I, behind
0: I it. love, love the answer. Um, I connect with it both intrinsically and extrinsically and the intrinsic side talk about, I think the last chapter in the book, I said, you know, the, the why for doing all this is I say there's a, there's a fifth P in marketing or six P, uh, and that's the personal side, the impact that it has on you in your career. I mean, let's face it in in one ways, uh, God, I hope I don't offend anybody. Maybe it's a stretch. You know, you're like a, a Stanford heart surgeon, meaning that you have methodologies for driving company growth that the best companies in the world wanna have you on their team to perform that for them because how much knowledge you have. And you learned and have revised this. You even just said yourself, like, we're gonna call them me Okay, you changed the name, but the point is you have a taxonomy, it works, and you're following this methodology. And anybody who thinks that the demand funnel or demand waterfall uh, is, is dead and lead management is dead is sorely wrong uh, because the companies that are doing this uh, are getting tremendous benefits. And that means the marketing leaders like yourself you know, everyone likes a scoreboard. I mean, if you post something on social media, look for most part, people are looking at their likes and comments. They're not just doing it to put a thought out there. They want to see some reaction, some response. So, how rewarding is it to put all this effort into marketing and to know that worked, that didn't, that worked, that, did, that would even work better than that? Uh, it's really rewarding because you can see think, where the the impact is.
1: And I think the scoreboard is a good analogy because if you look at any sports team, it could be soccer, could be football. It could be anything. I mean, I like to use football as an analogy because that scoreboard is always showing on the field and those coaches and those players, they're adjusting, you know, what they're going to do based on the scoreboard. Yes. it's the same in marketing and sales from my right. perspective is those yeah. are our scorecards we have scorecards and we look at those scorecards regularly and the more we look at them the more we can adjust the more we can do this play we could throw the ball deep if we have to we could we could run the ball right yeah. we could do this or that it's the same way that you know somebody i'm a Patriots fan for i'm a nice. boss but bill belichick might be he he's constantly adjusting his offensive coaches are adjusting the defenses a coach is adjusting but it's all about the scoreboard and i really just would like to pass on to all of the you know the younger generation coming up is making sure You're always looking at your scoreboard. So you know how to adjust your plays. How do you adjust your sales place? How do you adjust your marketing place? At the end of the day, it's all about plays and marketing, this playbooks, right? And sales, it's playbooks. And we have those. We have those built and we're building, continuing to build them and evolve them. And having those plays helps you understand how to adjust when that score is down. Yeah. And how to adjust. And And not maybe you're down a quarter, but how are you going to make it up the next quarter, right? So just constantly using the scoreboard, David, I think is really insightful.
0: And on a final, Final note: I'm sure you support this marketing. You're gonna fail often, <laughs> often, and <laughs> embrace it. It's okay. And by the way, if you want to feel better about the work that you're doing, go run a sales organization and find out how many of your reps make quota. You know, because not many do. Uh, and and there's a few eagles, and and there's everyone else. So why should I- you expect that every one of your campaigns is going to be an eagle? And it's going to be you know you got to try different things, and it and what works sometimes doesn't work, you know, six months later, it's constantly evolving chain, but embrace the change and embrace the fun and the challenge of it. You know, treat yourself as a little bit of a, a CSI detective, figuring out why this worked and what this didn't work. Make sure you have enough resources. I think the hardest thing in marketing today is there's just too much to do and it's hard to get great team members, let alone uh, there's an infinite amount of, of, of things that you can try and do. So you got to, you got to just narrow your lanes down so that you stay focused.
1: And i had a great mentor say uh gail if you're not failing then you're not trying hard enough and True. so there, are, i you know there's there's that's a a great a great way to look at it if if you're not failing then you're not trying hard enough or if you're going to fail fail forward right so those are a couple of recommendations that yeah, be, be fine with failing because you're going to definitely get into situations where you fail, but life is all about how you react and how you recover. Yeah. Um, right. How you respond. So I've always heard too, that 80% of what life is about is how you respond to certain situations. It's the same thing in in marketing and sales, how are we responding to certain situations and how are we adjusting and how are we pivoting? Um, that's another thing in marketing too, is when you're failing, you're not just always like you fail, but you always have to be agile, like agile marketing, agile, you know, agile development, but being agile has been really helpful in my career. It's just, knowing that you may come to work planning to do something, but that might not happen right. because of something, something external that you don't have control over. Yeah. Um, yes, you wanna control the controllables, but when you're in marketing and sales, you can't always control the controllables. Obviously we want to, but to be agile. Um, I recommend to all the listeners that are listening today, um, fail forward, don't be afraid, and just be agile and be willing to pivot. Don't get stuck on one thing or another, just always have an open mind because marketing is all about thinking outside the box and how you are gonna do something different than your competitors? Um, so that you can reach your customers in ways that they're going to find that their consumers are finding that what you're, 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 you're serving up as far as content is educational and it's going to add value. It's going to add value to their everyday their everyday job so as marketers what we really want to be doing is educating our customers and helping them i think i was kind of brought up to help others my father loved to help others my my mom um and, and as marketers that's what we're really doing we're really trying to help others we're, we're we're servant leaders at the end of the day and so again be agile um and be open-minded and i think everybody Love with it. that kind of mindset will be super successful
0: boom mic drop i'm leaving it right there ladies okay. and gentlemen gail nixon uh, like I said earlier, we used to go to these conferences to network with one another. All you have to do is go to LinkedIn and find Gail and connect <laughs> with her and you have another trusted advisor in, in your network in addition to me. Grab a copy of the book if you haven't. We talked a lot about lead management today. The book is there for you guys. And if you have questions about this stuff, I eat, live, and breathe this stuff, as does my team. I love diving in, so if you have specifics uh, in your areas, reach out to me. I can connect you with members of my team or folks like Gail who have been down these these roads. And uh, just love what you shared right there at the end about not being afraid to fail and just embracing uh, modern marketing, going for it.
1: marketing. Yep. Stick
0: around, Gail. I'll be right back. Let me say bye to David, these guys.
1: David, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Loved you having
0: you. Um, <laughs> and to all of you, uh, I just hope you're having a good i can't believe we're entering the second quarter of the year that's crazy i feel like i just celebrated new year's with all of you i really really want to thank you guys a couple milestones happened we crossed the 2000 subscriber mark on the youtube channel couldn't have done that without you guys i love producing this content with my guests and when you guys click on that subscribe button that tells me a little little dopamine hits my brain that says you guys are tuning in as well. So thank you for doing that. If there are things or topics that you would like to cover uh, here on the program, let me know. Uh, We're going to be adding a lot more MarTech demos coming up. So I'm excited to get back into doing some show and tell with you guys and some new marketing technology that's coming out besides the podcast. So whether you tune into Gen Radio or you tune into the YouTube channel, uh, I love having you guys part of my community. Thank you so much. We'll catch you guys on the next episode.